You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Please take your Bibles or tablets, whatever you might have before you, and turn to 1 John, First uh, John chapter 3. And I'll be reading verses 11 through 24. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 24, uh, as we come to the final week in our series on the gospel-shaped life. Uh, verse 11 begins, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So like many churches today and houses of worship, people are looking forward to uh, when we'll be able to physically get together. Uh, Now, where that should be a thing of great excitement, if you've been watching some of the dialogue regarding that on social media, and even in printed news, you see that it's actually been a source of some controversy and division among many Christians. Some are seeing present decisions about uh, government not letting us meet as being wicked decisions. Uh, There's some debate among Christians when we do get together, what will that look like? Should everyone wear masks? Uh, Should we not sing publicly because that increases the threat of exposure? Uh, How should we do communion? How might the church look differently? Uh, And it reminds me of a kind of a letter that was written to address division in the church. And I'd like you to read you just an excerpt from that letter. Uh, So this letter was addressing this kind of lack of love that's being evidenced among Christians. And the letter said this, uh, division is ranked among the chief evils of our time in that churches are so divided. Leaders are indifferent to the safety and entire piety of the church. 
Thus it is that members of the church are being severed and the body lies bleeding. Now what's very interesting is that was part of a letter. John Calvin wrote to Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, about division in the church back in the 1500s. But there's something there that resonates with a contemporary concern, and that is, what does the love of Christ look like within believers? You know, here would be a time, whether you're talking about right now with the corona separation of churches, um, but even looking ahead to when those orders are released and, and the restrictions become more open, what does Christian love look like? And how should Christians handle some of these differences? Uh, and so we're coming to the fifth mark of a gospel-shaped life, and that is a growing love for your church family that's displayed in tangible ways. A growing love for your church family that is displayed in tangible ways. Uh, and we should be thankful for how God is choosing to work through the coronavirus uh, to maybe push the church uh, to express love towards one another within the body of Christ and not just outside of it. Um, so we're going to take a look at 1 John 3 verses 11 through 24 and consider John's discussion here in three parts, all of them tied to that fifth mark of a, of a gospel-shaped life, and that is a growing love for your church family uh, and display of that in tangible ways. And so we're going to look at first the principle of Christian love, uh, then the practice of Christian love, and then the perfecting of Christian love. Uh, three very vital elements for us. And so let's first look at what John wants to teach us about the principle of Christian love. Not, not a new thought to any of us. Uh, we'd all echo that with amen. Yes, Christians are to love one another. Uh, and that love, as we'll see, is defined for us. Uh, but I want to first look at verse 11. Because the verse should actually begin with the word for. For this is the message. In other words, this is picking up on what was just said in verse 10. So the Apostle John is writing this letter concerned about false teachers that are coming in and uh, spreading a false doctrine, how the church should respond to that. But in the midst of that, also how the church should respond within house to loving one another in situations like that. Uh, and so what he's saying in verse 11 is connected to what he's just said in verse 10. In other words, this is a, a distinguishing mark of the church, that, that we practice this principle of Christian love. And you notice in verse 11, he ties that to the message you heard from the beginning. In other words, the very gospel that you heard initially shared with you is all tied to the concept and preeminence of love. And so that starts this section, but then if you go over to verses 23 and 24, you notice that same concept, the principle of Christian love, is another bookend to how this section comes to a close. Because in verses 23 and 24, he says, and this is his command 
to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So John there talks about the principle of love by summarizing it into two clear commands. We are to believe in who Jesus Christ is, and we are to practice the principle of Christian love. And so based on that, it is striking to realize that in the letter of 1 John, the word love appears over 50 times. So what a way to say to us, not only is it preeminent in this short letter, but we could expand that and say the principle of Christian love is preeminent in the scriptures. Uh, so think for a moment of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first four all reference your relationship with God. In other words, what does it mean to love and worship God? And then if you turn uh, to the Gospels, we see Jesus clarifying this and many times repeating it even to his own disciples, including the Apostle John, the author of this letter. Uh, but look with me at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and beginning with verse 37. Matthew 22 and verse 37. Uh, Jesus is basically trying to be set up here by a Pharisee who wants to ask him, which of the commandments is the greatest? Uh, this is, in one sense, a no-win situation uh, for Jesus in terms of a public relations attempt here. Uh, since the Jewish leaders believe there were over 600 different commandments, uh, they were basically looking at faulting him no matter how he answered this question. But it's intriguing to us that Jesus gives us the principle of Christian love here and defines both its source and its importance. So beginning at verse 37, the teacher asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus is very clear that love for God will enable one to love your neighbor, to love others within the body of Christ. So even though we have many other faiths who have kind of taken that golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself and put that out there, that is impossible without a right relationship with God, without the Holy Spirit, who is the one who will enable us and empower us to act on that principle of love. And so John is putting before all of us, putting before his audience, uh, that this concept of Christian love is embedded in the scriptures. Uh, it's embedded in the very nature of the message of the gospel. But if you go back to 1 John chapter 3, John, as an excellent teacher, will illustrate what the principle of Christian love looks like. Uh, and it's important to kind of clarify here 
that we know in our world today, people who are not Christians can display love. And that's only because they're made in the image of God, that there's a common grace. There is that image that is powerful enough that we can see people who don't know Christ can display love toward their spouse, toward their community, um, toward others around them, but they cannot display Christian love. The, the, the depth in which we're talking about the principle of Christian love is unique to the body of Christ. Uh, remind you of the words of Augustine back in the third and fourth century, who, who said, you know, what people claimed about the church was see how they love one another. That, that there was a distinctiveness about the church as the body of Christ. And so you notice here in, in 1 John 3, the illustration of love for us and Christian love is graphically presented both negatively and then positively. And the negative example is very clear in verses 12 and 13. Uh, you have Cain. Cain who kills his brother Abel. Uh, and John recognizes that the the reason is not that Cain is a victim of his circumstances or something like that, but it resides within evil within his own heart, uh, that he acts as the evil one, the father of all lies. And so that gives us a picture of what love is not. It is not self-seeking. It is not manipulative. It is not violent. It is not aggressive. But notice the second example he gives you in verse 13 is the response of the world to believers. That's an example of what is not Christian love. And so from the first century, even to the 20th, first century, we have many examples in our world where Christians are opposed, uh, ridiculed, uh, the source of times of persecution uh, because of their love for Christ. So John has enabled us to distinguish clearly, here are two very powerful examples, negatively, of what love is not. Go down to verse 13, excuse me, verse 15 of chapter 3. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So there we have once again that distinguishing mark. How do you know what a gospel-shaped life looks like? Well, if it is filled with animosity and hatred towards other Christians, bitterness toward other Christians, that that is an indication that, that you are not experiencing Christian love. Now, we probably want to put a caveat in this in that you may struggle at times with working through forgiveness towards someone. That's different than what John's talking here about a deep-seated habit in your life that you're refusing to address and acknowledge. But we can always be thankful that Scripture then gives you what's the positive illustration. You know, if this is what the principle of love is not to be, then what is it to be? And so you see that's given to us in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. So here's that fifth distinguishing mark of a gospel-shaped life, that we display a, a sincere and deep love and affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And that clearly extends out beyond just your church family. It should extend to the body of Christ as a whole. But think of in terms of just within our immediate church family, that this is a distinguishing mark. Uh, now, the practice of Christian love is the next piece that John wants to unpack for us. So now we know what Christian love is. We see its importance. This is commanded of us. Uh, it makes sense. And the practice of love begins to be unfolded in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So when he uses this word know, he's using it in, in like a perfect tense. In other words, we can look back at the cross, and that presents to us, here is a picture of what this principle looks like in practice. And so at this point in the discussion, we're reminded of some of what Paul has said in Romans in particular, Romans 5, 8, where he says, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we can't just read this and say, all right, I understand John is saying, here's the principle, but I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea how to do that. Well, John's saying, you want to know what that should look like in reality. First, stop and consider that Christian love is a sacrificial love. And that's embodied for us in what Christ has done. He laid down his life. He set his life aside for the benefit of displaying and bringing forgiveness to us through Jesus Christ. Now, as you kind of read that, we might be thinking that that's a pretty extreme example. Uh, and I think it is. It is an extreme example. It is an example that probably none of us will, will have to face to that extent. But we could say there's smaller ways in which your love for one another in Christ is sacrificial. Uh, you set aside personal interests. Uh, sacrifice your time, uh, sacrifice your energy to put the needs of others first. And as we think about that, that would make sense if we truly have a gospel-shaped life. When Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, which we know had its share of divisions, which, which Calvin's letter could have easily been written about them, uh, the, the body of Christ is kind of severed, and, and people are just laying there dying, uh, they're broken, uh, that we could see that in that letter, Paul says to the Corinthian believers, you have been given the mind of Christ. In other words, we have been given in Christ union with him, but now our thoughts and our affections should increasingly mirror those of Jesus Christ. So it would make natural sense that if our mind has been taken over and transformed, that therefore the practice of Christian love should be increasingly evident in each person in the body of Christ. And even though I said this may be an extreme example for some of us, it's not for Christians in other parts of the world. Uh, Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. 
where the Apostle Paul speaks of those in his life and ministry who did exactly what John is referring to here. Romans chapter 16 and verses 3 and 4. So in the practice of love, you get to the last chapter in the book of Romans. It's filled with individuals that Paul is thanking, he's praising uh, for how God has used them in his life and ministry. Uh, but you come to two very familiar names in chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, a uh, married couple, tent makers like himself, who also ministered and served. Notice what he says about them. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. <clears throat> Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. That emphasis that they risked their lives for me. That they... <clears throat> modeled exactly what John was saying here, a, a sacrificial love to the point of where it put themselves at times in jeopardy out of obedience and love for the apostle Paul. But if you go back to 1 John 3, the practice of love is even now brought down to maybe a more common day reality for you and me in Christ. Because John doesn't just give you this very broad example of a sacrificial love, where you're left kind of thinking, well, only Jesus could do that, or only Aquila and Priscilla or someone in that kind of context could. But now he brings it down and applies it to us. And so you notice in verses 17 and 18, we come right into your world and my world. And he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? You may have noticed throughout this passage, phrases like in him, uh, abide, remain, all key terms when you think back in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, if you do not remain in me, you cannot bear fruit, uh, the vine needs to be in and attached, the branches need to be in and attached to the vine. The same wording here, abiding, remaining. It goes on in verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Now you have a very practical example of Christian love. How do you respond to the physical needs of those in the body of Christ? And we can expand that. How do you respond to their spiritual needs? How do you respond to their emotional needs? Uh, there's been much written, constant discussion today about how uh, COVID staying in place is, is having an emotional effect on people, um, a mental effect on people, and as Christians, a spiritual effect on people. You know, are we sensitive to that in the body of Christ? Are, are we looking at ways to come alongside people, our, our brothers and sisters? to encourage them, maybe with a word of scripture, maybe by offering to pray for them over Zoom, on the phone, uh, however that might look. Uh, in, in verse 17, James says that if you, you look at a situation like that, you have the means to assist, and they're your brother or sister in Christ. 
he uses the phrase, but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Uh, a more literal translation that's reflected in the ESV is here, not the sense that he has no pity on him, but, but he closes his heart against him. And I like that picture much better, that here you're conscious of a need, but, but you literally just shut your heart, you, you close it, and are like, I'm not going to do anything to help with that. And, and if that is a deep-seated response we have, John's saying that calls into question, are, are you truly a believer? Because if you have the mind of Christ and you've experienced the love that Christ has for you, that's an impossibility then to live in the exact opposite way that you profess. A very strong implication here for what it means to practice Christian love. And I, I would like to think as we look forward to at some point rejoining together of all of us in our lives resuming a, a greater sense of normalcy, whatever that might look like, that there's something we would take with us out of this experience from COVID-19. And that is we would see the importance of staying connected with our brothers and sisters in Christ during the week. Uh, that, the, that the emails that have been going back and forth, the text messages, um, the ways that you're looking to kind of stay connected, that that would not stop when we're able to kind of get back into our more regular routine. Because according to this passage, that is an integral part of practicing Christian love. I'm not just knowing it in principle and in theory, uh, but, but living it out. Um, now, perhaps at this point, you might be kind of thinking, I'm not really doing and living that kind of standard of Christian love. Uh, and, and if you're starting to think that way, I would say, good. I mean, all of us should kind of look at this and say, this is what God is saying is not too much because of what he has done for us. But it's at that point that John says something next to encourage you in the faith. If you have that realization that your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ is not that perfect love that it should be, what John will tell you next is to encourage you and talk about the perfecting of Christian love. Because what we're realizing is that this display of Christian love will always be imperfect in this life because we're still sinners and we still wrestle with selfishness. But at the same time, not to just allow and say, well, it's never gonna be perfect, but it should always be increasing. It should always be being perfected and refined and lived out in us. Because Christian love is really the living out of our faith in Christ Jesus. And it begins with our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It certainly should include extending outside to those who don't know Christ. But in the context of this letter, John is focusing more on relationships within the body of Christ. So you come to verses 19 through 22, where there is encouragement here in the perfecting of Christian love. Um, and it, it may almost seem like when you read these verses that it seems out of place, 
Like he's been talking about Christian love and all of a sudden now he talks about feeling condemned and feeling confident. And then he mentions prayer and then he goes back to Christian love. And you might kind of think of, well, why is he digressing here with this? But I think it's an integral part of now encouraging you in perfecting Christian love. So look at me at verse 19. He says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. In other words, John's reminding us of the assurance of God's love for his children. That when you reflect and see maybe areas in your life and my life where we haven't displayed Christian love, that we need to be assured God's love for us is constant. It's not a performance-oriented love where he loves you less because you didn't do that this week, but we need to be grounded in the assurance of God's love for us. And notice the two polar opposite states he refers to. In verse 20, the sense of feeling condemned. Like there's a place for conviction of saying, you know what, I have, I have not been faithful in this area. Uh, and, I, and I lack the motivation, the sincerity I should have to feel convicted over that, which is what the word condemned means. But then he also counters that with talking about how you can rest in God's presence, and how you can be confident in coming before God. So what a way for us to look and realize our display of this is imperfect. But we should be encouraged in knowing God's love for us is the means by which we can see this demonstration of our love toward others be refined and perfected. Because then in verse 22, he follows it with an emphasis on prayer. And this is where we may think, well, John, that's great. I understand in prayer, you can receive what you ask for as long as you pray in accordance with God's will. But what does that have to do with loving my brother in Christ? Well, I think the reason is here to encourage you in perfecting Christian love is that God promises to give you what he requires. That if it's very clear he requires that we love one another, then God is also gracious as we plead with him in prayer to change our heart, that he will produce that work in us. In other words, God gives what he requires. This isn't about self-will because that all breaks down because we're still sinners. But it's God's work in us. Uh, and this is a message we see echoed throughout the different apostles when it comes to how do you apply what God has done into your life now? How does that fit with commands? What's the right balance between God's work and the work that you are required to do in Christ by the Holy Spirit? Uh, and so if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, Paul presents this to a church there. 
Uh, and it's a healthy balance that we must grasp. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 through 13. It's interesting that right before this, if you look at Philippians 2, basically 5 through 11, uh, Paul's talking about relationships with other Christians and saying that we should have the mind of Christ as Christ was a servant. He came in humility. That should mark our relationships with our brothers and sisters. But then notice what he says in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There you have the perfecting of our salvation, sanctification, that you're not working for your salvation, but because you are saved, that salvation is being worked out and manifested in your life. And that exactly matches what John was encouraging his believers to say, the perfecting of Christian love is a work of the Holy Spirit in you as you increasingly respond in obedience to God. So it is a work of the believer and the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it should be in every believer. Uh, this is why Richard Sibbs, who was known by his, his congregation as the, the heavenly doctor because of his, his sweet demeanor and gentle disposition, would talk about he wanted his people to labor in a spirit of love. And I like that thought, to labor in a spirit of love, that, that it requires energy, requires effort, requires prayer. Because we know as believers, we're, we're sinners. And we do uh, probably at times irritate one another. Uh, knowingly, unknowingly, maybe say something that can be hurtful. Uh, conflicts come up. Uh, questions, strong convictions about matters surface. How we deal with them is how we're living out and displaying a gospel-shaped life. So the Apostle John reminds us of the importance of that and how it is possible because of remaining in him through his Holy Spirit. And so I would hope it could be said of us, like Paul says it, to the believers in Thessalonica, when he says that I give thanks to God for you because your faith is growing and your love for one another is constantly increasing. So hopefully through this study, we, we've gotten a better understanding of the paradigm of what a gospel-shaped life looks like. Uh, and to kind of hold ourselves up to that and, and look at ourselves and say, how are we doing in these different areas? How am I doing in my desire to, to magnify Christ? Uh, how's my appetite for the scriptures? Uh, what, what's my prayer life look like? Uh, my requests and things like that. Uh, how does my love uh, for one another look? And, and how is it made visible? Now, now, John did say, don't love just one another with words. Now, he wasn't saying words are unimportant, <clears throat> but words are important, but they should be made visible 
in our actions. And I think we're, we're, we're improving in that area. I would say we, we still need to work towards that, all of us. Uh, and again, my hope and prayer is that that would not subside after we're able to get together, but it would even continue to increase because we, we've gotten a better understanding of, of this is a distinguishing mark of what it means to be a Christian.